Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We are in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. In 1 Kings chapter 18, of course, we had the major showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal to demonstrate who was the real God, whether Baal was God or whether the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the real God. And of course, the answer, as we knew it would be, was that God, the God of Israel, is the real God. Uh, Baal did not listen, did not answer, did not send fire to consume the sacrifice prepared by the prophets of Baal. But the God of Israel did answer with fire, consume not only the sacrifice, but also uh, the water and the wood and the stones were all burned up. And in the wake of that, uh, defeat of the prophets of Baal, um, Elijah slaughtered all the prophets of Baal because they were false prophets seeking to lead the people away from God. And according to God's law in the Old Testament, that's what happened to false prophets. Uh, then we saw that Elijah told King Ahab that God was going to end the drought, that rain was coming. And we saw Elijah uh, praying, presumably he had his, his head bowed to the ground, um, and uh, God brought rain, and so with the destruction of the prophets of Baal came an end to the drought that was a consequence of the idolatry that was happening in Israel. Again, the idolatry hadn't come to a complete end, as we said last time, because Ahab and Jezebel are still alive, they're still idolaters, but still there's a connection between the defeat of the prophets of Baal and God bringing an end to the drought. Now, that ended, that chapter ended uh, with two pretty uh, dramatic high notes for Elijah, right? God answered with fire from heaven and God brought rain um, when Elijah prayed. Now, in chapter 19, the tone of Elijah changes uh, dramatically. Right? In uh, chapter 18, Elijah is confident. Elijah is you know, staging this showdown. And now in chapter 19, Elijah is going to be on the run. And not just on the run, but um, it seems like almost, if not despairing, uh, certainly very uh, discouraged and downhearted. So let's hear what the book of 1 Kings says in chapter 19, verses 1 to 8. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, 
for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Now, uh, that, this story starts with Jezebel threatening Elijah's life, right? So um, Ahab has, uh, is telling Jezebel what has just happened in chapter 18 with the slaughter of the prophets of Baal. And when Ahab tells Jezebel that story, Jezebel's response is to send a messenger to Elijah saying, um, I'm going to kill you. Right? And may I die if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. That's basically what she's saying. So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So if I don't slaughter you like you slaughtered my prophets, then may the gods bring about my death, and even worse than that, um, if, I, if I don't slaughter you. So Jezebel is totally undaunted by the events of chapter 18. She's not repentant. She's not discouraged uh, that we can tell at all. She's not in any way uh, second-guessing her commitment to Baal and wondering if maybe she should worship the God of Israel instead. There seems to be no remorse, no doubt, no change of heart, no repentance, nothing like that in Jezebel. Instead, she, like uh, Ahab, points the finger at Elijah. Remember, uh, Ahab had said something like, is that you, you troubler of Israel? As though the problems of Israel were Elijah's fault because he had prophesied about them rather than Ahab's fault because he was leading people into the sin that Elijah was calling attention to. Right? So, um, Jezebel doesn't get it, doesn't repent, and she is seeking to put Elijah to death. Now, based on what we had seen of Elijah so far, and the way he faced down the prophets of Baal, and the way he's interacted with Ahab, and so, and, and so on, if we had not ever read 1 Kings 19, we would be, I think, totally surprised by the way Elijah responds, right? We would expect Elijah to be defiant or at least to be confident, to be uh, unshaken by Jezebel's threat. Um, he's seen the Lord provide for him. He's seen the Lord answer his prayer. He's seen the Lord answer with fire from heaven. Why in the world would he be afraid of Jezebel? And yet, here it is in verse 3. Right? Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. So Elijah now is not ex uh, exhibiting uh, the courage that we saw in chapter 18. Now Elijah is afraid. Right? Why is Elijah afraid? There's a lot that we, we have to say that we just don't know. That we're not told everything. Uh, the Bible doesn't... Uh, give us sort of a blow-by-blow blow of Elijah's inner state, right? Uh, what he's thinking, what he's feeling, all those kinds of things. But <clears throat> many people have, have pointed out, and, and I think this is, this is a fair connection and helps us understand what's going on, um, that this kind of thing happens 
to all, to all of us, right? We have some um, moment, some event, some experience, um, even a, a and particularly like a, a spiritual experience um, that is sort of a, a high. Something great happens. We see. God do something good, or we see God use us in some dramatic way, and um, and we are encouraged, and we're joyful, and we're and we're strengthened in the faith, and and then something happens, and we that that high can't be sustained. That high point emotionally and spiritually and so forth can't be sustained, and then we end up not just kind of going back to where we were, but in a sense again, emotionally and maybe even spiritually, um, just kind of plummet down into the valley, um, partly because uh, we're emotionally and physically exhausted by that um, you know, exhilarating, encouraging experience. Um, and when we are physically and emotionally drained, um, we, it, 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 it's just, it's, it's a hard place to be in, right? And so Elijah has been on this, you know, like, like we call it, a mountaintop experience, in some sense quite literally for Elijah there on Mount Carmel. And now he is, he's, he's done. Um, he, whatever, um, you know, courage he had seems to have left him. Um, whatever spiritual, you know, confidence he had, uh, he seems to have run out of. And now he is, instead of standing firm and trusting in the Lord and, and defying this um, idolatrous uh, Jezebel, like we would expect him to do, uh, he's on the run, running for his life, and he's afraid. All right? So um, Elijah is human, right? Elijah is weak. He's a prophet who speaks for God, but that doesn't mean he's Jesus. He's not sinless. He's not God. He's not perfect, right? He has um, not only the same weaknesses that we do, but also uh, Elijah is a a man prone to to sin like we are, even though he's a prophet. He's not perfect because he's a prophet. So he's afraid, he's running for his life, and it says he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, which is in the south, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. Now, if we fast forward a little bit, right, this story sounds familiar. There's another prophet who sat under a plant and wanted to die, right? The prophet Jonah in Jonah chapter four, after he preached repentance in Nineveh, um, and uh, essentially a, a revival of sorts broke out. The people were repenting, uh, hoping that God would have mercy on them and forgive them and not judge them. Um, after uh, Jonah proclaimed, uh, I, I may have said Jonah told them to repent. Jonah proclaimed judgment. He may have also, you know, mentioned the need to repent, but basically he just said, from what the book of Jonah tells us. Yay, 40 days, and you know this city will be overthrown. And the people repented, and uh, Jonah didn't want them to repent because Jonah didn't want God to have mercy on them, and he wanted to die, right? Elijah is in the same spot, right? He's asking God to end his life. It is enough, he says. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's, right? Just end it now, I'm done. He's perhaps overwrought, 
perhaps discouraged, uh, all kinds of things we, uh, we would like to know about the specifics of why he's saying this, why he's feeling this. Um, I've heard someone say before, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, something like Elijah expected after the, um, the showdown with the prophets of Baal that there would be a great revival in Israel, a great turning back to the Lord uh, immediately, I guess. And um, maybe now he's thinking that's apparently not going to happen because I've still gotten Jezebel hunting for my life, Ahab still on the throne, you know. But I don't know. It's it's in some sense it's a little bit of guesswork, right? We don't know for sure. But Elijah is he's he's done. He's afraid and he wants to die. And it says he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. All right, now let's pause there for just a minute. Um, Elijah has run away into the wilderness, right? He's under a tree asking that he might die. And he goes to sleep because he's probably exhausted, right? And an angel wakes him up and doesn't say, Elijah, don't be afraid. Doesn't say, Elijah, why did you run? Wakes him up and says, hey, get up and eat. And there's a cake baked there for him. There's a jar of water. And says he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, and said arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. So he lay down again, presumably went back to sleep, then he was told to arise again and eat because the journey which he's about to take is too great. And so he arose and ate and drank. So one thing that's going on here, um, obviously, is that God is providing for Elijah. Somebody pointed out, you know, this, this ought to remind us of back when God sent Elijah to, to the, I think it was the brook Kidron, where um, he could have water to drink from the brook and he sent ravens to bring him meat and bread you know, morning and evening, um, God provided for him through uh, the widow at Zarephath, who God, you know, uh, sustained their supply of, I think it was, was it flour and oil, you know, provided for him that way. And so here God is providing for him again, right? So this is, God is sustaining him, nourishing him, uh, taking care of him. Um, but also, let's just be really basic here for a moment. When God sends his messenger, his angel, to Elijah to take care of him, what does Elijah need? Well, Elijah is falling asleep, and the angel is saying, what you need is food. You need to eat and drink. And, and sometimes, that's our problem. right? Uh, somebody, somebody has said, I can't remember who it was, somebody has said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Right? Sometimes the reason why you're struggling with sin, you're struggling with uh, being kind or compassionate or, or loving or gracious in your speech or whatever, you're, you're tempted to be angry and rash and say hurtful things. Part of the reason sometimes is that you, you're just tired, you're exhausted, and you need to sleep. And you are not merely a soul. You are an embodied soul. You have a physical body that has physical needs. And the physical needs of your body affect your spiritual life to a certain extent, right? And so sometimes we just need to go to sleep, right? Go to bed a little earlier, maybe get up a little bit later, maybe take a nap, whatever it is, 
we need to sleep and sometimes it's we need to eat right that again our body is drained and some of us when we're hungry right it, it makes it just that much harder to be patient to be kind to be gracious in our speech and so sometimes what we need for our um, overall well-being including our our spiritual welfare is a nap and a, and a meal right we, we need to be nourished we need to be sustained and so um, that, that's that's a very practical very simple uh, but legitimate application of what's going on here with Elijah I think so he's told to arise and eat two different times and then the angel says the journey is too great for you where is he going it says, and he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So the angel was preparing him and God was providing for him so that he could journey from where he was in Beersheba all the way to Horeb, the Mount of God. Another name for that same mountain is Sinai. That's the name we um, think of more often, but both Horeb and Sinai refer to the same mountain. Right, so um, he is going on this journey to Horeb and he goes on the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. So that makes it sound like maybe there was something more to this cake right, than just regular old bread. There seems to be some kind of supernatural sustaining work going on uh, through this food that God provided for Elijah. Now there's one more thing I want to point out about this story and that is how similar what is happening to Elijah is to what happened to Moses. Uh, it's been pointed out that God often works in patterns. We see patterns in the Bible over and over and, and we've talked about this before I think um, some of you I think will have heard me say this uh, that part of the reason for that is because God is unchanging. God is faithful, right? And so uh, those who do biblical theology in particular, emphasizing the story of the Bible and the big picture, will say, you know, some of them will say, because God is unchanging, we should expect that throughout the story, we're gonna see little stories that are, are similar, that match up, that shouldn't surprise us, and that should, in fact, uh, be instructive for us. And, and here's one of those patterns that shows up, right? Moses, early in the book of Exodus, Moses runs away because he's afraid for his life, right? Remember that Moses killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave and Moses, uh, you know, wanted to rescue that Hebrew brother of his, that Hebrew slave. And he, so he killed the Egyptian. And then later he found out that it was known that he had killed that Egyptian and Pharaoh found out about it, Exodus 2 says, uh, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, like Jezebel sought to kill Elijah. And then it says, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So Moses flees for his life from somebody who's trying to kill him, and Elijah flees for his life from somebody who's trying to kill him. And where does Moses go? Well, Moses goes to Horeb, or excuse me, not to Horeb yet. He goes to Midian, and uh, he meets um, a couple of sisters. He marries one of them um, and stays there. 
and so one of the one he marries um, her uh, father's name is Jethro and so Exodus 3 1 says now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God so Moses flees from somebody trying to take his life ends up in the wilderness shepherding a flock and he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. And that's where God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, there in Exodus chapter 3. And later, after the Exodus, after Moses brings Israel back to Horeb, to Sinai, um, when he goes up on the mountain the second time with the second set of stone tablets, it says, He was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. So Moses goes to the mountain of God to meet with God, and he doesn't eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, that sounds a lot like the story of Elijah, right? That Elijah flees from Jezebel, he's trying to kill him. He goes into the wilderness, and then he goes 40 days and 40 nights without food or drink on his way to Horeb, the mountain of God, to meet with God. Maybe when we see uh, in the story of the transfiguration remember when Jesus is up on the on the mountain and he's transfigured before uh, James and Peter and John his clothes become white like lightning or, or like they're bleached white um, and he is um, he's there and so are Moses and Elijah uh, maybe there's a really good reason why Moses and Elijah are there maybe there's a lot more similarities between Moses and Elijah than we've seen before. Certainly, there's a lot of similarities between Moses and Elijah right here in this story, and perhaps we'll see more similarities as we move forward in this study. I know I've, even just today, was uh, seeing somebody suggest uh, even further similarities between Moses and Elijah in what comes next in chapter 19. So I hope this story encourages you. Um, if you're discouraged, if you're downhearted, if you're in a valley after being in a, uh, a high place, so to speak, spiritually, um, be encouraged. Elijah has been there before you. Many people have been there before you. The Lord can sustain you. Um, the Lord will not forsake you. He will never leave his children. Um, and uh, I hope that um, 1 Kings chapter 19 will be a source of encouragement for you. God bless.